Hey, welcome to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I'm John. My kids are watching The Goonies right now. Good enough for you. It's, what's, what's the single opera song that goes with that? I have no idea. I do not, I do not like Good the movie. For me. Not a fan. Good enough. I don't know how it goes. Probably the word Goonies is in there somewhere. Goonies, Goonies, Goonies. I'm sure that's how it goes. Probably. Previously on The Avenging Hour, Whirlwind tried to kidnap a bedridden wasp. Yellow Jacket succumbed to the microbes invading his system and grew to giant size, but some quick thinking from Beast and Vision saved his life. Also, Iron Man hit on Moondragon, a redhead came looking for Beast, and no one knows where Hawkeye went. And now, episode 62. Hello, episode 62. <laughs> what you're doing right now? <laughs> like I'm a masterpiece theater. Oh, and it's a beautiful issue we start with. This is issue 141. This is not bad, though. Yeah, thanks. I think you should keep on with that. It'd be like a golf announcer. Issue 141 from November of 1975, written by Steve Englehart, with art by bum, ba, da, bum, 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 George Perez. Can I just say before we even get started, I love the artwork in this book so much more. <laughs> it's true. We'll I talk it's because Tuska's was just so bad that anything's an improvement, or if I'm like, oh my god, George Perez. But when you people. when you get down to it, we will, we haven't had a. I don't think this book's had a really good penciler since Rich Buckler left at like issue one hundred five. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've gotten what retreads of Tuska and Don Heck and, and Sal Buscema. Anyway, this issue is called the Phantom Empire. Although, for some reason, I don't... It doesn't have anything to do with phantoms or empires. That's true. As Beast bounds tirelessly down a Manhattan street, talking to himself nonstop, an army of oddly-dressed soldiers rushes up behind him. The bouncy Beast puts up a good fight, but is soon overwhelmed by sheer numbers. Things look bleak for our new friend, until a hero emerges to help him out. That hero? Captain America. Never heard of him. <laughs> the two men fight off the troops, and Cap relates the story of why he was near enough to intervene. Several months back, Cap had rescued Hugh Jones, the president of Roxxon Oil, and no relation to Rick, from the clutches of the Warlord Krang and the Serpent Squad. Later, when Cap and Falcon were looking for the Red Skull in D.C., Jones told them where to find him. When the heroes arrived, some strange army showed up and massacred Red Skull's men. Cap put two and two together and determined that Roxxon must have their own private army. This is the army he was following when they encountered Beast. But why Beast? Before that can be answered, we check back in with Jarvis and that red-headed woman waiting on the mansion's front porch. She knocks again, just to let him know she's still there. Out of what I can only assume is annoyance and not a deliberate slip of confidential information, Jarvis tells her the team is at the hospital. Meanwhile, at the hospital, Jan is excited about receiving flowers, while Hank is overly homophobic about getting some as well. Cap bursts into the room and talks Avengers business, insisting the team returns to the mansion to discuss some connection between Roxxon Oil and the Brand Corporation. Immediately after they leave, the redhead shows up. Everyone seems to know her, but we, the readers, still haven't seen her face. Cap, Thor, Vision, Scarlet Witch, and Beast all arrive back home just as Iron Man and Moondragon swoop down in the Quinjet. They state that Hawkeye's disappearance appears to be the work of Kang. Vision is perplexed by Kang's unending quest. Thor also wonders who could have guessed the guy was so obsessed. And all I can think is, are you serious? <laughs> have you been reading these comics? <laughs> Moondragon, calling herself a god believes she and Thor should investigate the Kang connection. Cap just wants warm bodies to help break into Brand. As the team is taking sides, the redhead bursts into the room, shoving poor Jarvis aside. Turns out it's Patsy Walker, or Baxter, or both, or something. I guess we're supposed to know who that is. She and Beast have a private conversation, then she tries to reveal his identity to the team, but they already know it. Beast declares that he owes her a favor, so he asks if she can tag along on their ensuing felony. Cap protests <laughs> until he's reminded of Rick Jones and how he put a teenager into danger time after time after time. Up on the roof, Thor is amazed by Moondragon's ability to contact Immortus with her mind. 
The Time Master agrees to help the Divine Duo locate Kang, and soon they're screaming through time itself. They encounter Kang within the swirling void of eternity and fight him until he flees. The two give chase. Back on Earth, the heroic Avengers are about to commit a crime, but the Brand Corporation folks, including Patsy's husband, Colonel Buzz Baxter, are watching on hidden cameras. When the heroes hop the fence, they are greeted immediately, not by security guards, but by the Squadron Supreme. That's weird. Fight time! We learn that Golden Archer has an annoying, almost indecipherable Cockney accent. We learn that Patsy Walker fancies herself a fighter. And we learn that this plot must need some more padding because the Avengers lose way too quickly. As the team is dragged to an escape-proof cell, we venture back in time to the Old West of 1873, where Immortus, Thor, and Moondragon stand in shock of who they've just encountered. To be continued. A roll call. Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Vision, Scarlet Witch, The Pims, Beast, and Moondragon. I don't even know who's a member anymore, so I just included them all in there. Uh, Jarvis gets manhandled. Immortus provides an assist. Patsy Walker and Buzz Baxter make their first appearances in The Avenger, and our villains are Kang and the Squadron Supreme. Should we do uh, Patsy and Buzz quickly? Do you want to do Perez first? Who do you want to do Perez? You can do Perez first. Go ahead. All right, George Perez, born June 9th, 1954, broke into Marvel, penciling Astonishing Tales number... He broke in, too? (laughs) (laughs) He he penciled Astonishing Tales number 25 in August of 1974, so he obviously hasn't been penciling very long professionally when he gets his job. But he quickly became an incredibly popular artist, probably best known for relaunching the uh, New Teen Titans with Marv Wolfman in the early 80s. But he has runs on The Brave and the Bull with Mark Wade. He drew Crisis on Infinite Earths. He wrote and drew Wonder Woman for a couple years. He has two different runs on The Avengers. It is great to see him. I love George Perez's art. I don't know anyone that doesn't like George Perez's art. He And where most artists hate team books... George Perez seems to thrive on them. He relishes drawing everybody. The more characters he can put in a scene, the better. And that's why he was also so good on Crisis and Infinite Earths. He can pack panels in a page. He did the uh, the four-issue JLA Avengers crossover, too. Yes, he did. It had everybody in it. And he had a run on JLA as well. He's had a run on, on a ton of books. Uh, some of them longer than others. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I like you. I'm a big fan of George Perez. Sure. Are you characters? This one's a little complicated. Uh, Patsy Walker <laughs> first appeared in Miss America Magazine number two in November of 1944, back when Marvel was known as Timely Comics. Um, she was created by the very proficient Otto Binder and female cartooning pioneer Ruth Atkinson, who also created Millie the Model. Uh, Patsy appeared in a number of teen-related titles from the 40s through the late 60s, and Patsy Walker, the title was one of the few titles published by all aspects of Marvel Comics from Timely to Atlas to Modern Marvel. In fact, Patsy Walker number 95 from June 1961 is one of the first two titles to bear the Marvel Comics insignia, uh, along with Journey into Mystery number 69. Patsy had a few stories and amazing adventures that toyed with her becoming a superheroine, but this is her first uh, foray into possibly joining a team. I say that because she will join the team. <laughs> and, and she. this is really fascinating because this is the only time I can think of this is for the only time I can think of where a character came from a, from the romance comics line yeah. and became crossed over to the main Marvel universe and became becomes eventually a superhero and she brings over some of her supporting cast with her. Yeah, and it, it's interesting that they she was a teenager back in the forties, mm-hmm. so they've I mean they've aged her. She's an adult now. Obviously, she's clearly not as old as she should be if we yeah. do it in real time. So they're showing a little bit of compressed Marvel time here. I think. The first time she actually appeared in the Marvel in the Marvel Universe was Fantastic Four Annual Number Three in 1965. She was actually at Reed and Sue's wedding. Her and right. her friend um, Hetty. 
Yeah, they made comment to that in some caption box here saying that, you know, we would know who she was, that the characters know who she was because she was at the wedding. Uh, Buzz Baxter was Patty's boyfriend back in those 1940s issues. He actually made his first appearance alongside her in, this, in the same issue of Miss America magazine. Uh, after marrying Patsy, he joined the Air Force, served in Vietnam, and eventually became a security consultant for the Brand Corporation. He will become the superpowered mercenary named Mad Dog, become involved in the Secret Empire, and face off against the Defenders and Hawkeye and the Fantastic Four, and so on and so on. And as and Mad so Dog, he'll join he'll join the A Team with yeah. uh, B. A. Baracus and right. Um, yeah, that's Mad Dog. Uh, apparently, he and Patsy have already are already divorced by yes. the time this comic comes yeah, they out. Are ex. I like character. Patsy Walker a lot. Yeah, she's fun. But I agree with you, Buzz Baxter. And it, and, <laughs> and you can tell that because Patsy Walker will have a long career. Not always the most prolific career, but she has a long career and has her own book again in Marvel. Yes. Um, whereas Buzz Baxter dis- disappears pretty quick. And I, I would be remiss to not mention that Patsy Walker spends a good amount of time in The Defenders. Yes, of course she does. Uh, though she's really cool there, so. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the, they've upped the beast dialogue in this issue. <laughs> Is that possible? I, well, I don't mean upped it as far as quantity because that's not possible. But I feel like it's snappier and funnier. You said you said last episode that he was sounding more like Spider Man. Yes. But I feel like it was a little flat. Whereas I feel like in this first fight with these people, there is nothing flat about this, though. Thanks to George Perez's artwork, well, the, the it, panel layouts I think add to the. Oh, the panel layouts are amazing. But I also feel like the dialogue. I feel like, and I but and I wonder, and you can. Let me know what you think. But I wonder if you're Steve Englehart or any writer and you are dialoguing pages that you've gotten from George Tusca and you're dialoguing pages you've gotten from George Perez, yeah. if you're not going to up your game when you see the Perez pages. That, that's what I was kind of implying, that you, you kind of have to. I mean, it looks like there's it's much more kinetic. Also, I will uh, say that George Perez draws the correct beast. He yes. Looks, he looks like how he's supposed to look. <laughs> yes, and he looks consistent from panel to panel, whereas George Tusca's beast looked wildly different. Every time you saw him. Um, I'm a little surprised here because Captain America, when he's talking to the Beast, makes, a, makes it a secret that he was Nomad. Yeah. I thought everybody knew he was Nomad. Was it a secret? I, the Avengers knew who he was, he was Nomad. I guess. Maybe I, he just doesn't trust Beast enough night. Oh, my goodness. You mentioned in your write-up, this friggin' flower thing. Ugh. When Dr. Pym gets flowers, as you say... He could not be more homophobic because he got flowers. He's like, ew, you gave a guy flowers, ew. And this gets carried throughout the, it gets carried throughout the whole, the whole issue. Because Captain America makes homophobic comments about it later on. Um, when he's leaving, he, um, he says, take care of you two and Hank, ditch those roses, huh? What is it with you people? Yeah. They're freaking flowers. You don't look like a man with flowers laying on your chest. Oh, it's just horrible. Horrible! It really left it, it left a horrible taste in my mouth. The explanation for it was even worse, though. Scarlet Witch is like, "Oh, those are mine." What? Yeah, I ordered those for myself. Thanks for hanging on to them. I, I need to have organic things around because I'm a witch now. Ooh, I'm a witch. Shut up. I do not understand. So the the Pims at this point in time are both in the hospital because Wasp <laughs> almost killed and Pim hurt because of size changing. And Wasp just got better. That was hey, I'm better now. I do not understand why Engelhart put them on the team because he took them, they were on the team, the Wasp did nothing. <laughs> Immediately got injured. And Pam barely did anything and was sidelined just as quickly. And those issues where we were dealing with his problems, not good issues. Those are all beast issues. Why would he put them on the team to sideline? It's so weird because it feels like 
you know, normally when I feel like normally when a normally when a writer is picking a, their team of Avengers, it's either characters that they have plans for or characters they find interesting. He obviously has no plans for them, and considering the way he's written them, he can't find them interesting. See, the only thing I could deduce from it was that he was trying to build up the Avengers as some sort of family, and that they would go and visit their fallen comrades in the hospital and try and you know make a like a little universe out of the Avengers. The only problem is. That would have worked better if they had already been on the team for a while and then this stuff happened to them. You can't just bring them back and then have it happen and make it go, oh, like, it's like you're forcing it in there. Yeah. I know. I agree with you. It's... You know, like they force a nose on Iron Man's armor. <laughs> <laughs> Two things. I don't really have very many much, very much more in the way of notes. Very many much more notes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have much more in the way of notes. I don't know if you do. Uh, no. But I have to point out two things that you pointed out in your... In your summary. The one I'm just going to touch on, which is the beast throwing Rick Jones in Captain America's face. Yeah. Which made me so happy. Um, You can't bring that civilian on a mission with us. Oh. Oh, okay. Wasn't it you that brought a whole team of, like, 12-year-olds on you? Right. And the other thing I wanted to mention was freaking Golden Archer. I do not understand his name. I don't understand... Or not his name. I don't understand his accent. I couldn't I understand, understand what he was trying to explain why he's calling himself that, because I couldn't read any of those words. Yeah, I couldn't... I, I was trying to understand why he was calling himself Golden Archer. Wasn't he saying that where he came, comes from, there was already somebody named Hawkeye or something? Yes, because... So here... So, okay. So when Captain America was Nomad, everyone wanted him to become Captain America again. And apparently Hawkeye dressed up at, in costume as the Golden Archer. And attacked Hawk or attacked Nomad, hoping that would make him become Captain America again. Well, that's even more confusing. Golden Archer, he says, used to call himself Hawkeye. But when he met Hawkeye, he started calling himself, he decided to change his name and call himself Golden Archer. Which happens to be the identity that Hawkeye used when he was dressed up as Yeah, I get it. It's so confusing for no reason. It, It is completely pointless. I don't understand why you would change your name. He says, I met Hawkeye and I changed my name. You guys are in different worlds. You live in a completely different dimension. Why do you care? That's so stupid. Anyway. Then, who names themselves Golden Archer anyway? He should be selling Big Macs to people. <laughs> also, I also would point out that um, oftentimes his costume just looks brown. Here are my notes. My first note is, and the artwork is immediately improved. Yeah, We've discussed it's that. so true. Iron Man's nose is really starting to annoy me. <laughs> we covered that. And I think I kind of said this the, like two episodes ago. The title seems fresher, more colorful yes, somehow to agreed. me. Uh, the new characters, I guess maybe a changing of the artwork obviously is going to play a huge point in it, but it just seems like there's a little more energy to the Avengers now. I agree. And I, I would have to blame it all on Beast. I think he helps. I he think just, he helps a lot. Yeah. Steve Englehart obviously likes him, unlike Mantis, who he obviously liked to the point where she could take down the entire team. He obviously likes Beast. But instead of making him invincible, he's just writing him well. Yeah, he's actually made him a character where he really hasn't with some of the others. Yes. We spent so long with them just telling each other what they were going to do, and now to actually have some action and people, it's a lot more fun. Anything in Stan Soapbox you want to talk about? Um, there's some more changing of positions. Uh, Stan Soapbox announces that Marv Wolfman is now the color comics editor. Archie Goodwin is handling the black and white magazines. Len Wine is now a consulting editor, whatever that means. It means he's, he's, a, it means he's a writer editor. Um, Stan announces that 7-Eleven is uh, using Marvel characters on their Slurpee Cups. I remember those. And he name drops Terry Gilliam and Angela and David Bowie. For yeah. some sort of vague upcoming project. Now, I did a little bit of internet research. Back in 1975, Stan Lee sold the TV rights to Daredevil and Black Widow to Angela Bowie for one year. 
Instead of fast-tracking a TV show, she only ever got around to doing one weird photo shoot in costume. She was going to play Black Widow. And there's a guy dressed as Daredevil wearing, like, some form-fitting plaster suit. It looks really weird. It looks like some fetish porn. I don't know. (laughs) I would watch David Bowie playing Daredevil in a hot second. Yeah, David Bowie wasn't in line to play Daredevil. That's a shame. I'd watch. I could see him as the Purple Man. That would probably be. I would watch. I would watch if that. I don't know. I don't know anything about Angela Bowie. She's so, weird. But David Bowie, I would have watched him if he had any sort of in, influence on on this series. I would have watched it in a second. You know, if there had been a Hellblazer series or movie oh back in the seventies, she'd have been Bowie amazing. Totally would have been Constantine. Um, I couldn't find a relevant link to Terry Gilliam from nineteen seventy five that had anything to do with Marvel. Marvel did end up doing a comic adaptation of his movie Time Bandits in nineteen eighty two. Yeah, so I do want to really quickly just mention with this editor-in-chief, we talked about how there was going to be a revolving door. I'd just like to point out that in the last four years, we've gone from Stan Lee to Roy Thomas to uh, Len Wein to Marv Wolfman. So we've had four editors-in-chief here since, like, 1972. Well, I think those last three, Roy Thomas was on it for a while, but then Len Wein, Len Wein was only on for not even a year, I don't think. And we're still, and we're not done yet. There'll be more. Marv Wolfman will not hold this job for long. <laughs> Uh, anything else in the bullpen bulletins? Uh, I did not. You? They mentioned softball again, and they actually no. beat somebody. Yeah, they beat. They didn't. They mentioned like three teams, but they only said that they beat the one. And um, anything in the letters page? Mark Caldwell of Cedar Crest, New Mexico, writes in to point out that Kang could easily defeat the Avengers by jumping back in time from like a billion different locations and overwhelming them with numbers. The response notes that Steve Englehart is aware of this and is fascinated by the possibilities. However. While it would keep the team on its toes, it would be boring for readers who always want to see new threats. Yeah, they're basically like, this guy's like, you know, you had you had Kang jump back and come back three different times to fight Hawkeye, Thor, and Iron Man in that pointless giant size. What we said, same thing. It's a thing I've pointed out time and time again. Why wouldn't you do it a hundred times? And they're like, well, that would be dull. And, and this is the inherent problem with time travel stories. And that's not a good, that is not, just like you, I did not like that explanation. Because that is not a reason for Kang. That's a reason for you not to write it. But you opened up this door, right? So if you you need to figure out a, you need to figure out some solution other than well, it wouldn't be any fun. Yeah, I mean Marvel's own position on <clears throat> Kang neuters him as a credible threat. Yeah, I mean they're they're purposely undermining him by making it seem like he isn't smart enough to figure out the whole mass attack angle himself. He should be launching wave after wave at the team every second of every day if he really wants to defeat them. I mean, they they want him to seem like some kind of maniac, but he just comes off as lazy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, I really want to take over 20th century. Yeah, it can wait, whatever. Right? I have nothing else. All right. Yeah. Nope. MVP? I gave it to Moon Dragon. Uh, she's really powerful. She shows her power at this issue. I love her attitude. I gave it to Captain America just for showing up. Wow, your, your bar is low. <laughs> really low. Useless character? Uh, everybody else. I gave it to the Vision. Dude, calm down about Wanda. She's going to be fine. Don't freak out every time you think she's hurt. Uh, this is why we can't have married people on the team. Uh, Avengers level threat? No. I think so, yes. Both both Kang is an Avengers level threat and the Squadron Supreme is an Avengers level threat. They are definitely Avengers level we, threats. We really need to rejigger the what we use here. Because you always see it as like, overall, in Marvel continuity, is this character a threat to someone? And I look at it issue by issue, and there is no threat in this issue. How are you... The Squadron Supreme beat the Avengers. I know. It was stupid. (laughs) And Kang doesn't beat the Avengers, but, you know, he goes... (laughs) Yeah, Kang was definitely not a threat. Maybe the Squadron Supreme, but clearly they had them beat just to set up next issue. Final grade? I gave it a B-. For some reason, I can't hate it. 
it sets up some interesting storylines. I gave it an A minus. I think it's a solid issue. I think it's it's a solid action issue. Uh, good pl- good plots are being set up, and George Perez is there. It looks great, and I'm excited to see what happens next. Well, hey, why don't we talk about what happens next? Hey, what's coming up next? What comes up next is Avengers number 142 from December of 1975. Jason, this is the last issue of 1975. <sighs> it is by Steve Engelhart and George Perez, and it is called Go West, Young Gods. Oh, God. Thor, Moondragon, and Amortis had just popped up in the Old West while chasing Kang when they had been accosted by someone who speaks in spooky word balloons. Turning around, they find themselves faced with the oddest bunch of partners you ever did see. One of them, identifying himself as the Rawhide Kid, tells them to put their hands in the air, but unfortunately, it seems that they do, in fact, care. Amortis pulls out his who's who of Marvel's Western heroes and identifies the other cowboys as the Two-Gun Kid, Kid Colt, the Ringo Kid, and the man with the spooky word balloons, the Knight Rider Kid. I'm sorry, <laughs> just the Knight Rider. Thor doesn't care who these owl hoots are. He's a deity, and he's not going to be spoken to in this manner. He calls a thunderstorm down on the mounted men, and after hearing one of them mention Hawkeye, demands that they be taken to him. Stunned and perhaps a bit scared, the cowboys agree. The group soon arrives on a hill overlooking the town of Tombstone. They dismount, leave the Knight Rider with the horses, and head into town, where Hawkeye is hanging out shirtless in the office of a local lawyer. Man, his time around Cap has really changed him. Thank goodness he doesn't have any flowers in his hands. Hawkeye quickly fills Thor and Moondragon in on what's been happening. He had used Doom's time machine to go back to the Crusades and find the Black Knight. However, right in the middle of his journey through the centuries, he was interrupted by Kang, who Hawkeye attacked. Somehow, that attack knocked them both out of the time stream and dumped them in the Old West. Separated from Kang, Hawkeye had taken off his shirt, so he... fit in more? And since this was all history to him, he knew that the two-gun kid was really the lawyer named Matthew Hawk, so he looked him up. The two became friends, and here we are. Kang's apparently still in the area as well, as the assembled cowpokes tell us, throwing in all sorts of dialect and accents and drawls. They also let on that Kang has taken over the minds of most of the town of Tombstone, and when everyone wonders why, Immortus clues us in that Kang listens to the Avenging Hour, as he's taken our suggestion, (laughs) if you want to conquer the world, do it in a time period before there were superheroes. But don't worry, Hawkeye has a plan. Wait, Hawkeye has a plan? I'm worried. But these aren't the only Avengers we have to worry about. There's also Captain America's group, which was checking out Roxxon and their subsidiary, the Brand Corporation, when they were captured by the Squadron Supreme. And they're still captured, stuck in a cage created by Dr. Spectrum. Colonel Baxter and CEO Jones do some taunting, but then they leave, because really, a little taunting goes a long way. But don't worry, Captain America has a plan. Wait, Captain America has a plan? I feel better already. Back in the Old West, Hawkeye's laying out his plan for the benefit of the Cowboys and the deistic duo. Hawkeye's convinced that Kang is going to try and steal some uranium from a train transporting it from a uranium mine, and they're going to stop him. Thor and Moondragon go undercover as passengers on the train, as Hawkeye doesn't want them to be seen as it will tip off Kang, while everyone else takes up positions along its route. Sure enough, a group of hardened rustlers attack the train, but Hawkeye and the cowboys quickly take them out. Hawkeye signals Thor and Moondragon to join them, and soon the gang is gathered together with their prisoners, ready to find out exactly where Kang is so they can take the fight to him. To be continued. Our roll call this issue is Thor, Hawkeye, Iron Man, Vision, and Captain America. At least those are the people that actually talk. There's a lot more people in Captain America's group, but they don't get to say anything. 
Uh, we also see the Rawhide Kid, the Phantom Rider. I'm sorry, the Knight Rider. Uh, Two Gun Kid, Kid Colt. Uh, we get to see Moon Dragon, Immortus, the Beast, and Patsy Walker. Our villains are, I guess, Colonel Baxter and Hyperion. They're the only villains we actually, only named villains we actually talk to. The oh, there's the Ringo Kid. The Ringo I, kid. I don't include him because the Ringo Kid is not important to the Marvel. <laughs> so I didn't even know who that was. We should probably talk about. It's a primer of Marvel Western heroes. Ugh. Do they all talk? Do you have to talk about all of them? They all talk. You know the problem with all of them? They all look the same. Well, they're all friggin' named Kid. Well, they all have, like, you know, cowhide vests on, and they're all blonde guys, and it's so hard to tell them apart. The only one interesting is, of course, the Knight Rider, and to an extent, the Two-Gun Kid, because he wears a mask. Otherwise, they all look the same. All right, here we go. The Rawhide Kid is named Johnny Bart, or Johnny Clay. He first appeared in Rawhide Kid number one in 1955. They pretty much all have the same origin. We're not going to go into it much. He was orphaned as a child and falsely accused of a crime, so he became an outlaw. He was very popular for Marvel in the 50s and 60s. His magazine got canceled in 1979. He was brought back in 2003 in the miniseries Slap Leather as a gay man. He's not really very important to the Marvel Universe that we know, the superhero universe. Ringo Kid first appeared in Ringo Kid Western number one in 1954. His last name is Rand, and his mother was a Comanche. Is that Iron Fist's great-grandfather? Oh, I hope. I wish. <laughs> he was an outcast because, because his mother was Native American, he was an outcast. So he did good with his Native American sidekick, Dole Knife. His series lasted to 1976. He is the least important of all of these characters, and we will... You might see the Rawhide Kid in another crossover, but I don't think you really see the Ringo Kid again. That explains the one line he has, though, where he saves Hawkeye. He has that line where he's climbing up the train, he sneaks up on the guy that's going to shoot Hawkeye. And, yes. And he says something about, oh, I heard him call you, he called him like an Indian or something, and he used it as an insult. So that explains his mom was an Indian then. Yep. Got that. Kid Colt first appeared in Kid Colt number one in 1948, making him the oldest of these characters. <laughs> and yet he's named Kid. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, his real name is Blaine Colt. He was, again, wrongly accused of murder, so he became an outlaw. His series was canceled in 1979 as well, but that makes him the longest-running Western hero for Marvel. And he did have supervillains he fought, like the Fat Man, Dr. Danger, and Iron Mask. Two-Gun Kid. He's the most important one to us. Yes. Well, the other, the last two are both important. Two-Gun Kid first appeared in Two-Gun Kid number one, in, also in 1948. His name was, originally, his name was Clay Harder, but he had no real personality or origin. In 1962, in issue 60 of his book, Matt Hawk takes over as a lawyer who fights evil. He was inspired by the Clay Harder Two-Gun Kid, which they described as a fictional character. And he is the, very meta. He's the only one of these characters with a secret identity. He actually wears a mask. Um, he is the most Marvel University of them all, which makes sense because he was reintroduced in 1962 when the Marvel Universe was just beginning to take off. He actually becomes a member of the Avengers. Yes, he becomes, his title's canceled in 1976, and he, we'll be talking about him a lot because he actually spends some time, pardon me, spends some time in the present, hmm. hangs out with the Avengers a little bit. He's like Daredevil, except you can see. <laughs> How is he like Daredevil? He's a lawyer. Oh, okay. <laughs> and his name's Matt. Um, and finally, we have the Knight Rider. The Knight Rider originally was called, he's the newest of these characters, and he first appeared in 1967 as Ghost Rider in Ghost Rider number one. And he was based on a Ghost Rider Western hero that was published by Magazine Enterprises in the 40s and 50s. When that company went out of business, Marvel just borrowed the name and general concept. <laughs> Permanently. Of course, in 1972, when they created the Flaming Skull Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider, they said, oh, we should probably rename him. So they renamed him Knight Rider. But for 
reasons that we can probably figure out in the 80s they decided to change his name again and he became known as the Phantom Rider. The Knigget Rider. <laughs> Actually, I apologize. They did not change his name for that. They changed his name because someone told them the Knight Rider was southern slang for a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. And he does look kind of like that. Yeah. So, the original Ghost Rider was Carter Slade, who this is probably his. He's the closest to having superpowers or being a superhero because he dresses in this all-white costume that he got from a Native American medicine man that enables his clothes to glow in the dark. And he speaks in a spooky voice. Oh, my ghost. He will be coming back a lot in Avengers West Coast. Yes, he has. Uh, he causes some problems. He does. There you go. By the way, the title is a takeoff on Go West, Young Man. Really? Usually attributed to Horace Greeley concerning uh, Manifest Destiny. So, my notes, not specific to anything, kind of like an overall story. It bothers me that comic book writers have such nonchalance about their characters. Wouldn't these cowboys be utterly terrified of Thor? Yeah, they they, they, they take it kind of with a grain of salt. I mean, they're, they're a little... Nonplussed, but they're not nonplussed. They're a little taken aback. These people show up, but first of all, they look weird. Thor talks weird, and then he causes a thunderstorm, and then he flies up into the sky. Well, and they say, and they're like, "That's ah, cool." <laughs> I think they say something along the lines of, "This would blow us away if we hadn't seen what that Hawkeye can do." Yeah, right. What what can Hawkeye do? <laughs> the same thing that the Indians that you're fighting do. Right. What's, what's the big deal? I mean, did he show them an explosive arrow? I mean, I guess they're kind of weirded out by Moondragon because she's a woman that doesn't have hair. But her powers are still not not visual. They don't say anything about the guy in the funny hat and and cape. (laughs) But yeah, everybody just seems to accept everything at face value. They they trust what these strangers say to them and and they just assume that their intentions are pure and we're just going to go, hey, yeah, these guys are heroes, we'll go along with them. The, uh, I don't want to say learning curve, but the surprise curve, the adjustment period, very short. It's really strange. I'm not sure if that's a reflection on the writing of the specific writer or something to do with, I, I don't know, whatever was going on in the 70s like at that point. I, or maybe it's just a comic book trope where they just, there's no awareness of, they go, oh, well, this guy's going to show up here and everybody's going to be like, hey, that guy's cool. Yeah. yeah, I understand we don't necessarily maybe want to take four issues getting them adjusted to Thor, but I agree with you, it's a little, it's much too sudden. It always happens with the time travel stories and when they go to different dimensions and everyone yeah. just kind of goes, oh, oh, you're a good guy too? Okay, that's cool. Let's be good guys together. Woohoo! <laughs> you mentioned in your write-up, Kang wants to conquer the 20th century by conquering the 19th century first. Why doesn't he just go back further and take over the cavemen? What? You know... Like, it's, why, and why does he hate the 20th century so much? It is kind of funny because I, I recognize that we had suggested this to him before, but now I'm like, well, he did do this because he went back and conquered ancient Egypt as Ramatad. Right. So he's already done this. But then it's almost like that was too far back. Like, right? I don't want to wait around this long. But you'd think he could drop into any point earlier in the time stream and, and change things enough that the Avengers end up never existing. Well, that's the thing. is He really only has to, to, to travel back to like 1955 at the most, or 1960. And he could easily change events if the Avengers don't, don't form as a team because well, none of them were superheroes. He then. could just like leave some science laying around that makes everybody able to fly all of a sudden and everyone would be like, oh, the Avengers cares. We can all fly. We. <laughs> Either that or you go back to 1960 while Hank Pym is just Hank Pym and you blast him into... <laughs> you just kill him. You just kill him and you, and you move on. That whole thing about going back to when Hitler was a baby. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you wait till Tony Stark before he was Iron Man is 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 uh, asleep in a drunken stupor. <laughs> you <laughs> choke him. You choke him out and you're gone. See ya. I love that Tugon is so worried about his secret identity. <laughs> and nobody cares. The other cowboys are like, nobody cares. And Thor's like... I don't care. I mean, like, nobody cares. Evidently, a cowboy's 
favorite insult, as you pointed out, is Al Hoot. I don't know why everyone's called an Al Hoot. Uh, I, I read a few. I used to have a couple of the Western books. A couple Two Gun Kids and a couple... Um, yeah, I had a, I had a Kid Colt Outlaw. Kid Colt. And that's why I knew some of his supervillains. I don't understand. What's an owl hoot? Did you look it up? Like, is it just a... No, no. Or I is just, it just some weird Steve Englehart? Oh, this is probably what they said back then. They probably called people owl hoots. I just assume that's what everybody said, because they, they said it in the old Western books. And they keep calling everybody rannies. Look at these rannies. At first I thought it said trannies, which would have been a completely different story, but... I'm guessing Rannies is like short for randoms, like these random people that showed up. According to the according to the Oxford Dictionary, Owl Hoot actually means dusk and nightfall, which is now it's now archaic. Or the hooting sound made by an owl. Really? Uh, Urban Dictionary says Owl Hoot is a cowboy outlaw of the old American West, such as that no good Owl Hoot stole my gold nuggets after him, boys. Yeah, according to the Oxford Dictionary in U.S. slang, it's um. A fugitive, an outlaw, or a worthless or contemptible person. So, why are they just, like, casually throwing that word around? It seems like something you would call someone you don't like, and if they're like, ah, oh, you old owl hoot. Well, I guess it's how, like, when a bunch of guys are together, they'll be like, they'll be like, you're holding flowers, you're a... <laughs> yeah, what are you, some kind of not guy? So you know how that goes. Look, I can't explain to you why Western heroes talk like that. You can't explain to me why these Western heroes talk like anything. All of the accents that are in this book make it very difficult to read the dialogue. It's not easy. Let's throw six Western guys in here and have them all talk the same. I did not buy that there were uranium mines. Or that they would know what it was, even if there was a mine for it. I had to look that up. Uranium was actually discovered in 1789 by the German chemist Martin Heinrich Klaproth. Uh, the first uranium mine was found in Colorado in 1871. So I'm not sure exactly what year this is. Yeah, it's 1873. How? And they were found some in Utah, Utah, but they didn't really start mining uranium until 1898 because there was no reason to. Because they had nothing to use it for. They went, hey, I touched it and I died. I it, don't want that stuff. In 1898, Marie Curie discovered a radium, and you could use uranium to make radium. And so that's why they started mining it. But again, this so is like... they could make something they didn't need? Well, they needed radium. <laughs> for what? You, Marie Curie. To kill people? Yeah. Marie Curie, give, give everybody cancer. Marie Curie, famous assassin. Um, it's a slow death. The point being that they probably shouldn't be dealing with uranium in 1873. Yeah, especially not with their bare hands. And I liked because they're all freaking named Kid. I like that Hawkeye calls himself the Hawkeye Kid. That was horrible. I took a picture of that for the Instagram. It's kind of a nice panel. It's a great panel. Hawkeye's looking sexy. Yeah, I don't understand how taking off his shirt and mask makes him inconspicuous. I know, right? He's just a pale white guy trying to look like an Indian. It's somehow worse. I um, I I love Hawkeye. Hawkeye obviously loves being in the Old West. Oh yeah, and I really like that he gets he gets to shine a little bit here. I mean, he's really good in the Old West because let's be honest, that's about his power level. He turns into like an Indiana Jones character. Yeah, he's really cool. I actually really like Hawkeye in the Old West. But this whole issue is just a scene from a bad Western. Uh, I have no other notes for this issue. I have none as well. What about Stan Soapbox? Stan Soapbox is all about son of origins, and here we go again. <laughs> I don't believe it. Um, anything in the bullpen bulletins you want to talk I, about? I'm not interested really in any of the items. I just have the thing at the end there if you want to talk about. Well, let's see. Uh, the second wave of Marvel value stamps are supposedly out. Allegedly. No. Are they yet? Yeah, they're supposed to be out. Well, they're talking about what they're going to look like and all that, but then I thought they said it was going to be, a, or maybe it's only a couple It's a couple months until they send those books out again. To yes. Put your stamps in them. Yes. They also mentioned, they also pushed Foom and the Wizard of Oz comic. Uh, and which one did you want to talk about? That one or that no, one? No, the big one there. Go for it. There's a clip and save list of all Marvel's published titles, or the ones they're publishing at this point. 
and they want people to use it to keep track of the creative teams. They say to just simply pencil the creator's initials in the blanks next to the title name and carry it around with you. Who would do this? <laughs> well, and... So how are you going to remember who the initials are for? Right? <laughs> well, and... Some of these titles, like Guardians of the Galaxy, there is no room behind that. Yes. I mean, this is really <laughs> tiny. Maybe like two little letters. And how long is this going to last if you're writing on comic newsprint? Right. Once you erase it once because they change their creative teams every week. I mean, it had to be some kind of joke, but it's just... I bet someone did it. Oh, I'm sure. And I probably hate that person. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't want to talk about the fact that the Fantastic Four is coming to the radio... Five days a week for five minute long episodes. Five minute episodes. That's got to be exciting. Scintillating. Others? Uh, Terry Martin of Lanake, Lanoke, Lonoke, Arkansas, <laughs> seems to agree with us that Mantis was woefully misused in the Avengers. That was my only point. Yeah, she also thinks Mantis should have her own book. That's a little too much. <laughs> I don't know what that book would look like. Like, I'm really kind of fascinated by what a Mantis... I don't I hope it would see 30 pages of tree sex. <laughs> see, that's the thing, though. If it would be Mantis hanging out with trees, I would be fascinated by that book. I don't know how that works, but I kind of want to read it. Ugh. And especially if she would actually be pregnant. Can you imagine the splinter she would have giving Ooh, birth to that child? That's going to hurt. But if she had, like... Maybe it just comes out. Maybe it's like a seed and it just comes out of like a, with like a flower on it or something first. Because I don't think we've ever actually seen her child. And all the Still? time she's been back, I don't know that we've ever seen it. Huh. I would love the idea that she gives birth to a little tiny shrub. I want it to be like Sprout from the Green Giant commercials. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she got like leaves for hair and... What if she gave birth to Groot? Oh. What if Groot is Mantis's child? She's supposed to be in the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Maybe it's all going to come together. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't wait. Bruce Walters from Corbin, Kentucky thinks that the Scarlet Witch looks good in a bikini. That was weird. Drawn by George Tusca? No one looks good in anything drawn by George Tusca. He, he didn't seem to appreciate seeing the vision in his briefs. No, no. Apparently not. Mm. He also thinks that the vision and the Scarlet Witch should each have their own... Team-Up Magazine. If you had a Team-Up Magazine where the Vision and the Scarlet Witch teamed up with someone every issue, I could get behind that. Did the he say he them... wanted them to have two titles, or did he say that they should actually be in Marvel Team-Up, where Vision is in a couple issues with somebody, and then Scarlet Witch oh, is in a couple? Oh, I'm sorry. And yes. he wants them to take over Marvel Team-Up. Oh, I but see, I but he wants them... He but wants not together. To, but not together, <laughs> yeah. which I don't get. I mean, I actually would love to see that. I think they could take over Marvel Team-Up. It would be interesting to see them interact with a bunch of different Yeah, it could be really cool. As a married couple. But as a married couple. Yeah. Oh, well. That's it, I got nothing else. Nothing else, MVP. I think we all know who the MVP here is. It's Hawkeye. Yeah, he's great. He has a plan. It's a good plan. And he's just in his element. Who's your useless character? Moon Dragon. I mean, I like Moon Dragon. It's not her fault. She just doesn't have anything to do. I picked Iron Man. Mostly just because, but also... It's the nose, isn't it? Well, partially the nose, yeah. But they're stuck in that cell, that cube, whatever, that's hanging, and he's like, oh, Iron Man's all my powers, I can't do anything. Avengers level threat? No. No. The, the threat's <laughs> A train? There. No, I don't think so. <laughs> those, those owl hoots they fight? No. <laughs> the, the, the threat is out there, it's lurking, but we're not really seeing it this yeah. issue. Final grade. As entertaining as it was, I gave it a C-. minus. I just, plot-wise, I don't get it. I don't understand why they're there. I gave it a B plus. I like this stuff. I like this issue. It looks good. It's fun. It moves. It's got a good pace. Um, and despite the fact that, and I'll be honest, this isn't really an Avengers issue. No. Uh, because we only see Captain America's group for like a page and they're all captured. And then it's all Hawkeye. And then it's all just Hawkeye and some Western heroes. So I completely get that this isn't an Avengers comic. 
But I think it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It just doesn't seem like much to me. It seems like an aside. I think, and maybe it's because, as you so often accuse me of, I'm judging this based on where I know this plotline goes. Yeah, you're cheating. <laughs> um, I, I'm assuming eventually my grade will come up because the storyline I know is a is a pretty big thing. But anyway. and I'm just saying maybe that's what I'm doing. I'm not saying I am doing that. maybe, but uh, yeah, that's it. So maybe. We'll thank you guys for listening again. Maybe we'll thank them? We'll have a party someday. We'll invite all of our listeners. We'll have a convention. Oh, we'll have a convention. Avenging our our con. It'll just be an hour long. I don't know. If we had a party and we invited everyone we knew... Then the place would be... Then you would see the biggest gift would be for me. Stop it. (laughs) Is that like a Celine Dion song? No, it's the Golden (laughs) Girls theme. (laughs) Oh, jeez. On that note... Uh, Agatha Harkness... Oh my gosh, if B. Arthur was still alive, she'd be the best Agatha Harkness. Hey everybody, thank you for being a friend. You can be more of a friend if you followed us on Twitter or Instagram. Our, our handle is at Avenging Hour. We have a Facebook page, we have a website, AvengingHour.com, and our email address is mail at AvengingHour.com. What is this? Lyman Papino? Shut up, I, I drink Spanish Gatorade. Lyman Papino? It is, uh, it's lime and cucumber. That is great. Gross. It's really good. It's gross. You're gross. Listeners, write in and tell us what you think about Gatorade. It's gross. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.